0: And uh, the topic, as you know, is the return of Elijah the prophet. And by way of introduction, Malachi chapter 4, the last verses in the Old Testament. And here we have this uh, tremendous message here in the last words of the Old Testament. That's significant, isn't it? And it says here, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children and the heart of the children to their fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. So here's the introduction to the Elijah message. The Old Testament closes with this prediction of the second advent, the great and dreadful day of the Lord. The New Testament likewise closes with a prediction of the second advent. Behold, I, or surely I come quickly, and John, remember, says, even so come Lord Jesus. But prior to the second advent, Elijah, it says, is to return. God is to send him to the earth. Who was Elijah? Elijah. Let's review the career of this remarkable figure. He was a striking personality of Old Testament times, was Elijah about 900 AD, a fearless man of God of striking appearance and a startling message. He was raised up at a special time when the 10 tribes of north of Israel were reigning independently of the tribe of Judah, and a great tide of apostasy had come in and overrun Israel. And Elijah was called by heaven to stem the tide. And there had taken place an unlawful union. Ahab, a very able and very talented man, the king of Israel, had married a notor a person who became notorious and whose name has come down the thousands of years with a stigma attached to it and her name was Jezebel, Jezebel. have you ever heard of a daughter being made named Jezebel no one does that says something doesn't it yeah Alright, he married Jezebel, and this is brought to you in First Kings 16, and you may like to notice this. First Kings 16 is the record, and there's some very interesting things in this record, you know, that we often miss um, concerning this incident. First Kings 16, I've got my wife's Bible and it's not broken in like mine. So it takes me a little longer to look things up. 16, 30, and 33. And it says, Ahab, the son of Omri, did evil in the sight of the Lord above all that were before him. That's saying something. And it came to pass as if it had been a light thing for him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, that he took to wife Jezebel, the daughter of Ethbaal, king of the Sidonians and went and served Baal and worshipped him. A staggering act. And he reared up an altar for Baal in the house of Baal which he had built in Samaria. I went up to Samaria, it's on top of a hill, and there I saw the remains. I've dug them out of these temples. And he reared up an altar for Baal in the house of Baal which he had built, and Ahab made a grove and Ahab did more to provoke the Lord God of Israel to anger than all the kings of Israel that were before him. These groves were places on top of the hills where Samarimus or Ishtar or Ashtoreth, the moon god, was worshipped. You see, the female god of sun worship. And then it says, In his days did Hael the Bethelite build Jericho. Now, this is very significant. He laid the foundation thereof in Abiram, his firstborn, and set up the gates thereof in his younger son, Seagub, according to the word of the Lord, which he spake by Joshua, the son of Nun. Remember when Joshua captured Jericho and destroyed it, a prediction was made concerning Jericho, and Joshua, under inspiration, said, Cursed be the man. Before the Lord that rises up and builds this city Jericho. Curse be he. He shall lay the foundation thereof in his firstborn. And in his youngest son shall he set up the gates thereof. What's that mean? Listen to the Amplified Version. With the loss of his firstborn shall he lay its foundation. And with the loss of his youngest son shall he set up its gates. What's that mean? In the days of Elijah, sun worship had become so dominant that this man was able, in spite of the curse, to rebuild Jericho, and he offered his son as a sacrifice. When he laid the foundation, as the sun worshippers did. and when he finished it set up the gates, he offered another son as sacrifice. Now that gives you a picture of the depth of apostasy of the day and to which Elijah was called to meet. What a task. We know a bit about that, don't we, (laughs) meeting apostasy. And that was Elijah's task, you see. And so here we read about, about um, about Elijah. There was none like Ahab, who did sell himself to work wickedness in the sight of the Lord, whom Jezebel, his wife, stirred up. You know, friends, a wife can stir a man up. She can stir him up to do wrong and she can stir him up to do right. Is that so? It's yes, very true. Wives, take note. <laughs> yeah, to do wrong. And Jezebel was infamous in that she stirred Abraham to do wrong. She surely did. And uh, Her name has had the stigma attached to it ever since. And at such a time as this, God required a man. And that man was Elijah. Like a bolt from the blue he came. And God, of course, always has the right man at the right time when he needs him. And here he had this man to counter the devil's devil's endeavors. And suddenly Elijah appears on the scene. The depths of apostasy demanded a dramatic denouncement, and Elijah surely delivered it. And we find that he comes to Abraham according to 1 Kings 17, verse 1, And Elijah the Tishbite, who was of the inhabitants of Gilead, said to Ahab, As the Lord God of Israel liveth before whom I stand, no queries about Elijah, he knew where he stood, before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years, but according to my word. And so there he predicted a terrible drought. His message was as brief as his visit, and the drought surely came immediately, relentlessly, with all its attendant miseries. And Israel, being an agri- agricultural kingdom, was naturally hit to the heart. And Ahab. In anger, hunted for Elijah, and he heaped a, upon whom he heaped the blame. Not on his apostasy, but on Elijah, because Elijah opposed the apostasy. And searches, remember, were made in the surrounding countries for Elijah, and he took oaths from the various rulers that Elijah was not in their country. And in the meantime, Jezebel wrought havoc in Israel. It says she cut off the prophets of Jehovah... 1 Kings 18, 4, and verse 19, she imported 450 prophets of Baal and 400 prophets of the groves who ate at her table. So there was the apostasy. Very, very serious. The prophets of the groves, as I said before, were the priests dedicated to the worship of Astarte or Ashtoreth, the, Mag- the Babylonian moon goddess, Samorimus or Ishtar, And the number of the priests indicates how extensive the apostasy was. Where was Elijah at this time? He first of all was by the brook Cherith, where he was fed by the ravens, remember? And then when that went dry, God sent him over, where to? Over to near Sidon, the very place where Jezebel's father reigned. The last place you'd expect him. And that's where God sent him, where he found refuge, remember, with a widow woman, a widow woman, the widow of Zarephath, who accommodated Elijah. She responded to God's promise. And during the three and a half years of drought, her barrel of meal never ran out and the crews of oil never ran dry. And her dead son was restored to life. Her family was preserved. As a result of Elijah. And all this is significant. It's all typical. All this. Well the drought continued. For how long? Three and a half years. King says three years. The New Testament says three and a half years. And that's the truth of it. Three and a half. At the end of the three and a half years. Elijah reappears to Ahab. And here is his message. Chapter 18. Notice what it says. Excuse the detail here. But I'm going to go through this and I'm going to put it on the board and then I'm going to show you the anti-type of all this in the Christian era. And it says here, chapter 18, verse 1 and 2, came to pass after many days the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year, saying, Go, show thyself to Ahab, and I will send rain upon the earth. And Elijah went to show himself to Ahab, and there was a sore famine in Israel. A sore famine. I tell you, the judgments of God had made their mark upon Israel. And so in verses 17 and 18, notice what it says there. And it came to pass when Ahab saw Elijah, that Ahab said to him, Art thou he that troubles Israel? And he answered, I have not troubled Israel but thou and thy father's house in that you have forsaken the commandments of the Lord and thou hast followed Balaam. So here is the issue. Israel had forsaken the commandments of God and followed Balaam. And you know, friends, if a man follows Baal, which represents Babylon, he clashes with God's commandments. If he keeps God's commandments... He must forsake Babylon, as plain as that. And here we find Elijah challenging Ahab over the, this question of worship. And chapter 18 again and 19 and 20, notice what it says. Now therefore, he says, send and gather to me all Israel unto Mount Carmel. The drought is so bad now that Ahab has to listen. And he listens to what Elijah says. And he said, Elijah's instruction was, gather all Israel to Mount Carmel and the prophets of Baal 450 and the prophets of the groves, 400 which each at Jezebel's table. And you know the story of how Ahab sent and gathered all Israel to Mount Carmel with the prophets of Baal. And... Uh, Sun worship had by this been shown to be impotent. Remember, sun worship was the worship of the principle of fertility. Fertility in nature, vegetation, in animal life, in human life. That's why sexuality played such a big part in sun worship. It was the worship of the principle of fertility. That's why it was so popular and why God was so fiercely against it, because it was so deeply immoral. You see, but the devil used, it, used that to spread his uh, corrupting teachings in order to bring the race down. And so after three and a half years of famine, Israel was in a desperate situation. And Ahab was compelled to listen and to comply. And sun worship has been, was being shown to be impotent, impotent. And, uh, and here they were. The country was barren and desolate. Sun worship was in retreat. And so here they meet on Mount Carmel. A great crisis. And remember the conditions of this conflict between Jehovah and Baal. And in this, in this Elijah called for a decision from the people to worship Baal or Jehovah. That was, the, that was the issue. And he said, how long halt you between two opinions? And so he instructed them what to do in the conflict. He said, take, you take a bullock, and dress it and put it on the, the fire or the, the, what would you call it, on the wood. And call on your God and the God that answers by fire. He is the true God. And we know the story of how the priests of Baal set up uh, prepared their bullock, put it on the wood, and prayed to the sun god to bring down fire. We all know the story, don't we? And they engage in a ritual dance from morn to noon, often accompanied by supernatural signs, these dancers were. They cut themselves, their blood flowed freely to propitiate Baal. And throughout, Elijah mocked them. I like that. <laughs> mocked them to emphasize their impotence and deception. And he said, it's interesting, verse 27, what he said to them. He said, he said, it came to pass at noon that Elijah mocked them and said, Cry aloud, for he's a God. Either he's talking or he's pursuing. Or he's on a journey, or peradventure he sleeps and must be awaked. <laughs> <laughs> <coughs> pursuing. And what he was referring there was to the sun god who was noted for his sexual pursuits. Nimrod. That's what he was referring to. See? And so. He ridicules it all, you see, in order to, uh, to highlight the fraudulency of this religion. And it says they prophesied from till evening time. Prophesied. And that word can indicate the speaking in tongues of gibberish. Gibberish. Which was still common amongst the devil worshippers of the Orient today. And finally, of course, the Baalites' performance came to naught. Now, in verse 30, we read of how Elijah took over and played his part. And I want you to notice what it says here, verse 30 onwards. And Elijah said to all the people, Come near to me. And all the people came near unto him, and, all, and, he, and he repaired the altar of the Lord that was broken down. What a lesson there is in that. He repaired the broken-down altar, broken down by sun worship, broken down by Jezebel and all her followers. He repaired the altar. And then it says, And Elijah took 12 stones according to the number of the tribes, and with the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord and he made a trench about the altar as great as would contain two measures of seed and you know the story he placed the bullock on the wood etc and just flooded it with water to show that there was no deception and then let's notice the prayer of Elijah 36 to 39 and here He kneels down at the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice. Elijah the prophet came near and said, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that thou art God in Israel, and that I am thy servant, that I have done these things at thy word. Hear me, O Lord, hear me, that this people may know that thou art the Lord God, and that thou hast turned their heart back again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt sacrifice and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and said, The Lord, or Jehovah, He is the God. Jehovah, He is the God. And Elijah said to them, now notice this. He led them to put their decision into action. Take the prophets of Baal, let not one of them escape. And they took them, and Elijah brought them down to the brook Kishon and slew them there. Yeah, slew them. Then we have the story of how the uh, how of Jezebel reacting. And how did she react? In chapter 19, 1 and 2, it tells us, and Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done, and with all how he had slain all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying so let the gods do to me and war also if I make not thy life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time in other words he issued the death decree a death decree and what did Elijah do he fled to the wilderness nineteen three to 8 and out on his trip an angel provided him with bread and water which lasted for 40 days, some bread, some water. Maybe we'll we we'll see a repetition of that in the future. And then we read of how Elijah predicted the fate of Ahab and Jezebel, 2119. I'm just dealing with the salient points of the story in order to put down the type, you see, for the anti-type. Chapter 2119, it says here, 21, 19, did I say? Yeah, 29. We're 21, 19, that's right. First Kings 21, 19. And thus shalt thou say to him, Oh, this is, this is, uh, well, perhaps we better read back. Verse 18. Arise. This is God's message to Elijah. Go down to meet Ahab, king of Israel, which is in Samaria, Behold, he is in the vineyard of Naboth, whither he has gone down to possess it. Remember, through Jezebel, that, that vineyard was stolen from Naboth. And thou shalt speak to him, saying, Thus saith the Lord, Hast thou killed and also taken possession? And thou shalt speak to him, saying, Thus saith the Lord, In the place where dogs lick the blood of Naboth, shall dogs lick thy blood, even thine here is the Elijah message concerning Ahab, the destruction of Ahab. And in verse 21, I will take away thy posterity, a terrible prediction for any family, meaning the family would become extinct, you see. And then in verse 23, here is the prediction concerning the end of Jezebel. And of Jezebel also spake the Lord, saying, The dogs shall eat Jezebel by the wall of Jezreel. I went up to old Jezreel, where it used to be, just pictured the scene here. And we're going to read the scene. For in chapter 22, 37, it tells us what happened to Ahab and how this was fulfilled. 22, 30, 37. And it says here, so the king died. This was in battle, remember. He was wounded and died. So the king died and was brought to Samaria. And they buried the king in Samaria. And one washed the chariot in the pool of Samaria. That pool is still there. And the dogs licked up his blood. And they washed his armor according to the word of the Lord which he spake. There was the fulfillment of that prediction of Elijah. Concerning Jezebel, 2 Kings 9. And here it tells us the fulfillment of Elijah's prediction concerning Jezebel. 2 Kings 9, verse 30. And it says here, And when Jehu was come to Jezreel, remember, he overthrew uh, Ahab or Ahab's son. Jezebel heard of it, and she painted her face and tired her head and looked out at a window. Why did she do that? To try and entice him, you see. And as Jehu entered in at the gate, she said, Had Zimri peace, who slew his master? And he lifted up his face to the window and said, Who is on my side? Who? And there looked out to him two or three eunuchs. That's from the palace. And he said, throw her down. So they threw her down. And some of her blood was sprinkled on the wall and on the horses. And he trode her underfoot. And when he was come in, He did eat and drink and said, Go see now this cursed woman and bury her, for she's a king's daughter. So they went to bury her, but they found no more of her than the skull and the feet and the palms of her hands. Wherefore they came again and told him, and he said, This is the word of the Lord, which he spake by his servant Elijah the prophet, saying, in the portion of Jezreel shall dogs eat the flesh of Jezebel. Pretty grim, isn't it? Yeah, pretty grim. But there we have the story. All fulfilled. Now, one more point concerning Elijah. 2 Kings chapter 2, 1-11. The order of this in Scripture, it's not in the correct order because this final event was after the slaughter of Jezebel. But in 2 Kings chapter 2, here we have it. I think Richard read this yesterday. And here we have the final event in connection with Elijah. What was it? His translation. Marvelous description how he was translated. We won't read it because. um, It was read yesterday and you know of it because we mustn't take too long to do this. So now on the board, I want to place these items, these events. And the first one is Ahab weds Jezebel. There was a a union, an unlawful union, contrary to the command of God for the kings of Israel to marry a non-Israelite. And as a result, sun worship comes into Israel. And Elijah is called by heaven. Elijah appears. Then there is three and a half years of drought. Three and a half years. At the end of the drought... Elijah, as we showed, reappears at the end. The next event, or major event, is that there is a crisis at Carmel over the question of worship. And as a result of Elijah's victory, there was issued the death decree by Jezebel, and Elijah fled to the wilderness, then later, under the judgments of God, sun worship falls, as we read, that grim story, and it ends with Elijah translated, there's the main story of Elijah the prophet alright now what's the significance of all this why has all this been recorded why remember it says there we read there behold I send you Elijah the prophet before the great and dreadful day of the Lord Elijah is to come back and in Matthew 17 we find there that uh, Elijah did return at the first advent on the Mount of Transfiguration. But the prediction was he would return before the second advent, you see, before the second advent. So the question is, how will he return at the second advent or before the second advent? In Matthew 17, Jesus, in speaking of John the Baptist, declared that John was Elijah. Remember. Remember. And, of course, he was similar to Elijah in his dress, in his ministry, and in his message. Very similar was Elijah. But when, he, when John the Baptist was accosted by the delegates from Jerusalem as to who he was, remember, they said to him, Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you that prophet? I, he answered, No. He denied that he was Elijah. Now what's the answer to this? How do we harmonize it? The harmony is brought to view from the words of Gabriel, remember, at the birth of John. And here Gabriel said to the parents of John, He, John, shall go before him, the Messiah, in the spirit and power of Elijah, to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Now, John the Baptist's mission was to prepare a people for the first advent. My friends, Elijah is to prepare the people for the second advent. And here Gabriel said to the parents of John, He, John, shall go before him, the Messiah, in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Now, John the Baptist's mission was to prepare a people for the first advent. My friends, Elijah is to prepare the people for the second advent. You see that? That's the purpose of Elijah. Now, John the Baptist's message and his spirit was very similar to Elijah's. Very similar. And so we hold that the return of Elijah is not Elijah in person, but it was like that of John the Baptist. John the Baptist came in the spirit and power of Elijah. And so once again at the second advent, there's to come a message in the spirit and power of Elijah. So we need to identify this message, you see, and find out where it is. That we might be a part of it. And in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 13, we find this that Elijah typifies the special message of God to apostasy in the last days. And here it says, all these things happen to them. That's in the Old Testament. Happen to them. What's the next word? For ensamples. For ensamples. What's an ensample mean? For types, for pictures. It was a picture, a type of things to come. And they're written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the world are come. The the Old Testament, in a special sense, has uh, typical pictures to teach us about the last days. In a special sense. There are a lot of typical pictures in the Old Testament. And I want you to now notice with me how... The anti-type fulfills the type in the in the Christian era. Now, first of all, remember at the beginning of, of, of Elijah's experience, there was an unlawful union. Ahab wed Jezebel. Whom does Jezebel represent? Revelation 2 tells us of Jezebel in the New Testament we better look that up. Revelation chapter 2 and verse 20. And here is the key to the antitype of this prediction. And I'm sure you're all familiar with this. Chapter 2. And in speaking to the church of Thyatira, the church of the Middle Ages, of the Dark Ages, of the time of papal supremacy... The complaint of the Lord concerning his people at that time was this. Chapter 2, did I say? Or 20, verse 20. Notwithstanding, I have a few things against thee, because thou sufferest that woman, Jezebel, which calls herself a prophetess, to teach and to seduce my servants to commit fornication, meaning in in a spiritual sense, and to eat things sacrificed to idols. My friends, what power was it represented by a woman that endeavoured to lead God's people during the Dark Ages away, to seduce them spiritually? It was the Church of Rome, who in Revelation 17 is likened to the great harlot woman, you see, and Jezebel represents the harlot church of Revelation 17, and here's the evidence for it, right there, so, let's come back here now, so, as, just as Ahab wed Jezebel, so, my friends, in the Christian era, there is another unlawful union, church and state united, There was a union, an unlawful union between church and state in the days of Constantine that led to the development of the papacy. And as a result, sun worship in the form of Mithraism entered the church. Right? This is ABC, it should be, to every Seventh-day Adventist. Entered the church. And the apostasy was terribly deep. The great majority of the professed Christian church went astray. God's people, true people, were forced to leave the cities and finally went to the, to the country areas in order to worship according to their conscience, you see. And so God needed someone, someone to denounce the apostasy. And just as Elijah appeared there, now this is probably new to you, Elijah, the Elijah message comes to the church. The Elijah message comes to the church. Now, what was the Elijah message? And here we have the first appearance of the Elijah message. And if you read Benjamin Wilkinson's book called, what's it called? That's right. There he gives you the documentary evidence about how God raised up special men at that time to declare an Elijah message. The three outstanding ones were Helvidius, jo- Jovinian and vid- Vigilantius. Have you heard of those before? Yeah, three men, 350 A.D. to 420, the first one. The next one, 330 to 390 A.D., And Vigilantius, 364 to 408. And if you want to read about these men, it's thrilling. It's thrilling. They opposed the Church of Rome and the apostasy, friends. They decried the paganism invading the Church, especially in Rome. They exposed the corruption of the established Church, says Wilkinson. And the foremost preacher against Rome and the leader of the faithful of northern Italy was this magnificent character called Vigilantius. And this, friends, was the Elijah message, or the beginning of it, a message against apostasy. Now, the next event notice was that when Elijah appeared, he predicted three and a half years of drought. And, friends, when these men rose up, shortly after, there came another drought. Three and a half years, prophetic years of drought came to the world, came to the church. Three and a half prophetic years. What were these years? This was the time of papal supremacy. 1260 years of papal supremacy. And you all know how we work that out. Time, times and a half, three and a half prophetic years. Brings us to 1260 days, which represent 1260 years. And here we have three and a half prophetic years of, of spiritual drought. Spiritual drought. Was there really a drought spiritually? I tell you there was. The true church was in the wilderness. Spiritual, the spiritual reign of the Holy Spirit was withheld from the people. Moral and spiritual darkness reigned supreme. The noonday of the Orthodox Church was spoken of as the midnight of the world, and it was. Gross ignorance prevailed with appalling superstition and fear. Friends, it was a period of prophetic drought, spiritual drought, for three and a half prophetic years. And during that time, of course, just like you remember, Elijah was, was, was with the widow over in near Sidon and you know all that is symbolic the people of God at this time were pursued and martyred just like Elijah was well not martyred but pursued and uh, but they were miraculously preserved with Elijah remember he dwelt in obscurity with the widow her meal never ran out and her oil supply never went dry and so it was with believers during the 1260 years their meal, their spiritual food never ran out. They had the Word of God in their own tongue when the rest of the world was spiritually starving. And uh, they had the oil of the Holy Spirit whereas the rest of the world were bereft of the Spirit of God. And so uh, this brings us now to the next event. And we've got to put down the dates here for the sake of the video. 538 A.D. and 1798. Now, at the end of the three and a half years of drought, remember, Elijah reappears. God commands him to come again to Ahab. And so at the close of the 1260 years, in the antityp, the Elijah message is to reappear. The Elijah message reappears. And when did the Elijah message reappear? Remember, after 1798, there was a great revival in the study of the prophecies of the Bible. And that finally culminated in the great Advent message of what... Date, 1844. And there we have the revival or the reappearance of the Elijah message. It's reappearance. And uh, we find there are six parallels between the Elijah message and the message of the three angels. There are six parallels. First, Elijah's message was a message of the judgments of God. My friends, the three angels' messages are messages concerning the judgments of God. Is that right? The first one, the hour of his judgment has come. The third one, it talks about the judgments of the seven last plagues. Very much a message of judgment. Secondly, Elijah's message was a message exposing apostasy. The second angel's message of Revelation 14 is a message exposing apostasy. What's it say? Another angel followed, saying Babylon is fallen, is fallen. And what was Babylon at that time? What did Babylon represent? Not the church of Rome, it had fallen (coughs) centuries before. It represented the churches of Protestantism. They had morally fallen through the rejection of Bible truth in 1844. So it was a message exposing apostasy, you see. And it still should be our message. The third point, it was a call back to the keeping of the commandments of God. And we all know that that is so in the three angels' message, a call back to the keeping of the commandments. Here are they that keep the commandments of God. For it was a call for decision to the worship of God instead of the worship of the beast or Babylon just like Elijah's message was. Five, a minority accepted the Elijah message or accepted Elijah and so in the three angels' messages there will be a remnant who will accept the message and remain faithful. The fourth the, 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 the sixth point, the message of Elijah turned the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to their fathers. And that's what the Elijah message, the true Elijah message, is to do. It turns the hearts of men and women to their children and their children to their fathers. It gives a burden for their salvation, such as no other message does. So those are six, and undoubtedly there's many other parallels of the Elijah message, or rather of Elijah's message and the three angels' messages. All right, now the next point, remember, when Elijah came, when Elijah reappeared, he called called Israel to Mount Carmel, and there came a crisis, a religious crisis. And my friends... The next event in this lineup is this that there's going to be a world religious crisis, like Carmel, when there's going to be a contest over worship. A contest over worship. And this will come about as a result or in connection with the loud cry, the latter rain and the loud cry, and the whole world will be brought to the place where they've got to make a decision for God the Creator, for Christ or Antichrist. And this is represented by the crisis at Mount Carmel. Now remember, after the crisis at Carmel in Elijah's day, Jezebel issued the death decree. And as a result of the loud cry and the the coming religious crisis, there also will be issued a death decree. And who will be behind the death decree? Spiritual Jezebel, the harlot church of Revelation 17. And just as as, as Elijah fled to the wilderness, What will God's people do when the death decree is issued? They will fly. There will be flight from the cities. And the universal Sunday law will be the sign to leave the large cities. The death decree will be the sign to leave the small towns and villages and to get out back as Elijah fled into the wilderness. And remember, when Elijah fled, Elijah fled into the wilderness, he was fed with bread and water that lasted for how many days? Forty days. And maybe that's what. Well, there will be a, a count that will be a, uh, repeated. Maybe. Now, the next point, sun worship finally fell. And brethren, we are going to see when God's people fly from the cities and the plagues come, we will find that false religion will fall. Literally fall. Being able, its destruction will be brought about as a result of the ten last plagues. And in the seventh plague, remember it says, the city was divided into three parts, and the cities of the nations fell, great battle, and great Babylon came in remembrance before God to give unto her the cup of the fierceness of God's wrath. And here there is the destruction of of apostate religion. Now, just as Elijah was translated, so the people of the Elijah message, likewise, will be translated. Translated. For they, remember, will be the 144,000, whether you believe it's a literal number or symbolic. They are the remnant, the living upon the earth when Jesus comes and so they, likewise, will be translated, just as Elijah was translated. And, you know, it tells us that in the, when they are translated, early writings gives us the picture, and this is beautiful. It says, speaking of how we are caught up to Christ and, and return to the, to the new Jerusalem, it says, on each side of the cloudy chariot were wings. We travel in a great chariot, A marvellous chariot, so huge that it contains all the redeemed, millions. And we travel together in this great chariot, a living chariot, just like Elijah's chariot. What was it made of? Angels, the chariots of God, 20,000, even thousands of angels. And my friends, when we ascend back to the heavenly city, we will ascend in a mighty living chariot. And notice the description. It says, On each side of the cloudy chariot were wings, and beneath it were living wheels. And as the chariot rolled upward, the wheels cried, Holy! And the wings, as they moved, cried, Holy! And the retinue of holy angels around the cloud cried, Holy! Holy, holy, holy Lord God Almighty. And the saints in the cloud cried, Glory, Hallelujah. And the chariot rolled upward to the heavenly city. Isn't that terrific? And let's hope we're all there, brethren. And if we are, I tell you, we're going to sing Glory, Hallelujah, aren't we? <laughs> we surely will. And so there it is. There's the climax of the Elijah message. So, my friends, let's accept the Elijah message. Let's be true to the Elijah message. Let's proclaim the Elijah message as we're able, by the grace of God. And finally, let's share in the marvellous reward of those who belong to the Elijah message. is my prayer. Let's bow our heads as we close. Gracious God, we thank thee for the truth of thy word and for the beautiful portrays in it of truth that tell us of thy great plan and of how the plan of salvation will finally end. We thank thee for the inspiration of thy word and of the things that have happened in the past and how they are types of things to come. We thank Thee for Elijah and we pray, dear Lord, that we might have some of his spirit, some of his courage, and that we might be like him and be like Jesus in our Christian life and in our endeavour to herald the Elijah message. So hear us this morning or this afternoon. Guide us each one. Keep us true no matter what. And may we all be there in the great gathering day when Jesus comes to gather his people, is our prayer in his name. Amen.